Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. So we asked our audience, the uh, what do we call them, the, the thoroughly considered people. <laughs> yeah, we really, yeah, we've thought about each one. Yeah. Really, <laughs> uh, and we're going to give some some not so thoroughly considered answers to these questions. Um, hey, you don't know. Well, yes, we'll see. I guess Dan asked, uh, "What were your pre-studio neat jobs? Were you guys working out of any consultancies or larger corporations?" Dan, can you answer first for me? Sure. Uh, I was working at a company called Frog Design, um, which is uh, a design firm, I guess you would say, and they do <laughs> lots of different... Pro- I mean, I guess their their probably claim to fame is uh, they designed like some of the original Apple computers, like Steve Jobs hired them, uh, I believe. Actually, I might be getting that wrong. It might be after... like. 86 or something after Steve Jobs left. Anyways. Didn't they have something to do with the iPod design? No, I don't think so. Okay. You might be thinking IDEO. So, like, the, uh, I think it's called, like, the Snow White design language or whatever, which had these, like, slotted vents and stuff in early Apple computers. Like, they they did that. Um, so, but since, you know, in modern times, they still do industrial design stuff, but they do a lot of... Uh, digital stuff as well, obviously. And so I was an interaction designer for them. Designing those interactions. What about you, Tom? I worked at a small design studio called Potion, which did kind of crazy stuff like museum installations. So like, you know, when you go to a museum like the Smithsonian and there's like a custom high-tech interactive installation, well, Potion did those. Um, And so they're like usually... Uh, custom multi-touch software multi-touch hardware they do everything about them and so i worked right out of grad school um doing development for them and then also like hardware like development so you know if we had to design custom hardware for them or for like those installations i would do that and then go help and install stuff and so that was super interesting learned a lot and they were super supportive uh once the studio needs stuff happened um so yeah that's what we're doing in New York City. <laughs> Kian asks, do you end up doing much of a nine to five, five days a week type of work schedule? Not exactly. Well, it used to be yes. Now I have a really kooky schedule because I have two children and I want to try to spend time with uh, them some and like kind of work things out with Casey with her work schedule and stuff. So what happens is I have the kiddos until like noon usually and then I work until like you know six or seven or something and then um at night I get a couple more hours in of work and I do kind of different stuff so it it, but only yeah but then on the weekends I like completely try to you know not work unless there's something that like comes up so kind of yeah so now I used to be pretty kind of loosey goosey before having a kid I would generally work you know, roughly during working hours, but, you know, sometimes I might go to the gym or something in the middle of the day and then, you know, work a little later in the evening or whatever. Uh, but now actually I have a very rigid, uh, nine to five 
schedule because that's just how it works with having the kid and we have a nanny that looks after him during those hours and so uh yeah it's kind of funny how i'm now like on a very rigid schedule you're a grown-up you're a grown-up yeah. i don't have a schedule you know no i mean i just more you know i work all throughout the day like just because i don't have the i don't have kids right so like i just kind of anytime like anytime i will just do some stuff enjoy it while you have it time zone stuff as well i imagine yeah that's true yeah time zone stuff that's that's my favorite part (laughs) uh matt wanted to know how you guys first encountered me I I was I saw this question and I was trying to remember. Now I remember the first time that we met, but I don't think you guys will really remember. I remember I'm now having a memory of the first time like I heard about you, Mike, or heard of you. That doesn't count it, though. Well <laughs> I am interested to know that though, no. <laughs> yeah, it was uh like I was listening to five by five at the time and kind of discovering things. And I think you interviewed Dan Benjamin on like your show. Uh huh. Uh, and then I was like, who's this Mike guy? And that's when I first like discovered who you were. Okay. Years ago. I, it was it Mike was the first time where we like at some, like in San Francisco, WWDC or maybe Macworld, probably WDC, uh, some like cafe thing with a long table. I feel like that's it, but is that true or not true? That was the first year, like the first time yeah. it, within that time frame. But we first met um, in 2014 in the bar of the W in San Francisco. So it was oh, my really? it was my first WWDC, and you were there with Sean Blanc. And yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Sean introduced us. Oh, okay. as he does. As and as uh, does. I, I knew Studio Neat because you're such mega superstars, and I owned <laughs> a bunch of your products. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I mean, I kind of that scene, that scene of Sean uh, introducing people in the W Hotel lobby happens a lot. So it's like this blur of <laughs> he would he would like just if you know sean blanc is uh at the time he was writing about technology and and now he makes these awesome like courses about productivity i guess is maybe the easiest way to do it and he he runs a couple of other properties as well but sean used to go to wwc every year um and i would remember he would basically set up camp in the w and effectively just hold court all day for people to come and speak to him. <laughs> well, he's also really good at introducing people. Yeah. Like, he does the thing where if, if, like, there's people meeting, he tells everyone else who everyone else it is. It was really nice. really nice. It was. Yeah. It, his way of introducing people to other people was really nice. It, be, he, it basically would give people compliments about each other. It was very, very, very yeah. nicely done. Hence why he would hold court, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go meet someone. You just go find Sean and he'll introduce you. It's no problem. That's right. That's right. Richard has a selection of questions. Um, the first one is, do you see, uh, do you both see yourselves working on similar kinds of projects to what you do now in 10 to 15 years' time? Tom, what do you think? You know, I think about this all the time. I, I ask myself and ask Dan, like, do you think we'll be doing this exact same thing in 10 years? And part of me thinks, man, if we're really just a two-person company in two years, will that be strange? Like, what if, like, in 20 years, will that be strange? But then when I think about it, I say, I hope that's what we're doing. Uh, yeah, I I mean, who knows how the future is going to be. Ten years from now is going to be a lot, a very different place, I think, in our world. But uh, 
I hope so. It, it feels it's good, and if we can kind of keep it working and uh, just continue to make things we think should exist and leverage like technology and infrastructure to do that, still as a small company, I think I think we would still want to. We might have like one person or something to help manage things, but uh, yeah, I I would still like to. I think Dan, I I sometimes surprise myself by how little vision I have for the future. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I I don't know. I would guess yes, and but it might be kind of shifted or changed in some way as a response to, you know, technology or how the world has changed in that time. But I think that is exactly what we're kind of teeing ourselves up for and that we've set things up to have this kind of agile company that's just two people and we can shift and change as we need to. And so I could see it, I could see it, you know, studio neat still existing, knock on wood and the two of us kind of being the sole proprietors, but uh, maybe what we're working on is, is kind of shifted, but that's kind of precisely how we've arranged things. And do you have individual goals that you would want to accomplish, like outside of Studio Need, do you have things that you still want to do? Uh, I'm not. I'm not a big goal person in that way. Uh, it's funny. My my goals now are very much like work life balancey, like not career oriented. Really, yeah. I mean, my goal would basically just to be like, let's keep doing this and keep making good things. It's not like oh you know, we need to hit like a revenue or we, I want to have some award or something. So I'm pretty non goal oriented in, in like for career. I mean, cause you've done stuff like teaching and things like that. Right. So like, I think yeah. they would be maybe some things that people would still want to accomplish, but you've, you've kind of done a lot of it, but already. Yeah. I mean, not in like, at like, you know, the heights of that stuff, but yeah, I mean, I'm pretty satisfied at this point. And so it's more just like, continue to make good work rather than one specific, you know, specific goal. I wouldn't say I have any, I mean, there's like personal ones, but not like career oriented ones. What about you, Dan? You want to make a building, don't you? You want to make a car. (laughs) It's the ultimate design challenge is my understanding. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I feel pretty much the same way where to me, goals are more about, yeah, kind of lifestyle slash like work life balance. Um, like I think the ideal needle to thread is, um, like still, still feeling kind of energized and passionate and excited for work. Uh, like, but subtract out all the like anxiety and stuff that can happen you know, when you run your own business. And so who knows if that like balance is actually possible, but I think that's kind of the ultimate goal. Um, and then just in terms of like projects, like things that I think would be fun to work on that are outside of what we've done before. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. I think it'd be fun to make a game, either like an iOS type game or a board game, I think would be really fun. Uh, there's like making, movies like time-based media would be fun um but those are just like kind of in the back of my head like this would be neat but we're not pushing to do any of those things alexander asked what great product from the past would you love to redesign 
Yeah, so I, there's two things that I want to design that we'll never be able to, probably. One is, and this is like a dumb thing to design now, but a receiver. <laughs> Believe it or not, like a stereo receiver. I think they are horrific in every way. And I would love, it would be, I think we could really move the earth on that, but there's no way we could do that. Um, so that would be one. Uh, but I, it's weird because we, I don't, I don't have any real interest really in like designing a chair, for instance, which is kind of like the stereotypical industrial designers like thing you do, like you design a chair. That's what you do. But yeah, I don't have any of those real like wanting to redesign classic things. Do you, Dan? Do you have? Not really. I mean, it's funny because he says what great product from the past. And it's like, well, if it's great, (laughs) it doesn't really need a redesign. (laughs) Um, yeah, nothing, I might punt on this question. Nothing really springs to mind. The only thing that I know, this isn't a great product and it's not even important, but I just wish somebody would redesign the packaging for the AeroPress. It's like this, <laughs> mm. <laughs> it drives me crazy. You know, like the, 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 hex, the hexagonal like tube packaging, is that what you're talking about? I don't care about that. It's the graphic design. It's oh. like the worst thing ever. Like it just has these quotes from people you've never heard of on the yeah. side of it. Like it's I, just so bad. I just I acquired an AeroPress recently because I started drinking coffee, and it it's there's there's something really charming about that product because it is like so <laughs> shitty in, in a lot of ways, and it's like plastic. And it, like I had it sitting out on the counter, and my wife was like. I really wish this was like nicer looking because like, it's, yeah. it's really cheap. The itself is not great looking, but like I can let it go. It's not at all, but it it's so functional. Like everything is kind of like, you know, the, the little uh, stir is just like this flat <laughs> stick thing, yeah. but it's really nicely designed because it, it's like designed in a way where it's the perfect length for when you put it in the, tube it like doesn't scrape the bottom like it's sized correctly and stuff there's like nice little design details like that but the packaging is an abomination it's so bad it's so bad it's very like made for tv feeling you know like um, you probably do because you own it but you know who makes this right the aerobi guy Yeah. yeah it's like they make frisbees well, it's and the one this. inventor, and the inventor's invent. He's like a genius inventor. He's Clearly, yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, he's a, he's a super engineer guy. The frisbee, like the, the air, the, the AeroPress is incredible, right? Like as a thing, mm-hmm. it's like one of my favorite things that I own because it's so good at what it does. I just yeah. the packaging. I just can't. <laughs> I just can't get around it because, like, you go to all these nice coffee places and they have these things just like stacked across the wall, and like the 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 main focal point of the packaging is a quote from Robin Sam in Denver, Colorado, and it says <laughs> the best coffee maker I've ever owned, like huge on the front of it. Like it's so pointless. It, I don't get it. it. It drives me crazy. I don't know why. Well, they don't care. There's the, it's the they don't have any competitors, right? R- really? So, okay. do you keep it in the packaging? Like, nope. why are you still? It just frustrates me. <laughs> like I don't for, that, know for that one instant when you're unboxing it. <laughs> well, because I, the first time I saw it, I was like, "This is ridiculous." And then every now and then, it comes up again, right? Because like I'll see it in a store or something, you know. Well, but you know, the product itself also 
you know, has signs of that same decision making where it's like incredibly functional uh, and also designed for manufacturing processes. Right. So it's like really cheap and stuff. Mm -hmm. So and then has the huge logo on the side. Yeah. The whole product is built around this like functional, uh, you know, (laughs) function over form, certainly. Uh, So, you know, I think that's just, you know, indicative of the guy is like a super engineer guy who made it. And I'm sure he made like the decisions because it's like he owns the company he made he made the packaging himself in powerpoint that's right you know but he probably was just like hey i went this way so yeah someone should really just license the patent and then just make like a hipster one and then i can't believe like that must be that he won't allow it because a million people like studio neat must have tried yeah, maybe, maybe not though. You know, it's kind of a nerdy. You know, the arrow press is kind of a nerdy thing. I don't know how. Can you make like the neat press? That's right, That's right. Let's just infringe on those patents. <laughs> uh, getting back onto the questions, Alexandra also asked: Name one limitation other than time and money that you wish you could have lifted with a past product or idea. So, if one of the products that Studio Neat has made, what is a Every. limitation that you've had, which has made things so frustrating, or like has, has hindered you in a way that 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 really maybe I don't know, maybe kind of made the product worse for you? Like literally every decision we've ever made. Um, I, one of the big ones, honestly, is you know we go we do things in Asia off for cost reasons. Uh, if that didn't exist, we would just like not make any, we'd make everything locally and it would be much yeah. more pleasant of an experience, I think. So that's a big Because you could just drive down to the place and say like, no, this is yeah. the part that's wrong. And then, then yeah. rather than yeah. six weeks of emails. Yeah. Like I told Dan, like after the canopy was out and stuff, I was just like, we just need to learn that if we're getting something made in China, we had to just fly there. Because I think we could have solved the you know, six or eight months of back and forth in like one day if we just like went to China. So it's a it's a lesson, I think. So, but yeah, that that would be one thing. It's just get it made local. I would say the laws of physics, maybe if we could lift that for uh, <laughs> uh, 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 well, specifically, <laughs> I have, I'm thinking of like the neat ice kit for some reason. Yeah. Uh, it's just like it works quite well, but it could be, it could always be a little bit better, right? Or like we could never quite, you know, get the ice perfectly clear. It's like kind of 90% of the way there. Um, and it would just be, it'd be so great if it was kind of like this flawless thing. Um, but because there's like so much variability and like freezer temperatures and water types and how it's insulated and all these things, um, that was yeah. kind of the uh, thing we were butting up against the whole time. So yeah, that's true. That's one product where like we were really bound by not manufacturing. It was just like like physics, like the way the world works was like the thing that was the real one of the and real I, challenges. And I also yeah. assume like with the ice kit, you started off from a position that was so far outside. You were so like so out of your depth, right? Like just yeah, yeah, like yeah. the beginning yeah. of trying to I guess learn the science. It's like that's Well what's crazy is people they don't we don't understand how ice freezes still. Even science doesn't. It's a very complex process. It's like a crystalline structure. Anyways, we don't need to nerd out, but yeah, it's like they don't even exactly know. So I so. I came across a great uh additional use of my neat ice kit a few days ago. I had a wisdom tooth out and I it was really nice to just hold the neat ice kit up to my face <laughs> in the little rubber thing. I just had like this huge block of ice. Uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, pretty good. So nice. thanks so much for like the, the neat 
ice pack or whatever we'll call it now. You're welcome. Brilliant. We'll add, we'll add that to the packaging. A big quote from Mike Hurley that's like, it helped my wisdom too. <laughs> Just huge, huge on the front. A picture of me with it on my face. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, Oprah Shock asked, tell us about your marketing tactics. Like the channels that you use, like the newsletter, the po- this podcast, I guess, uh, Kickstarter campaigns themselves. Do you have anything else that you consider to be marketing? I guess Instagram, right? We, that's been a thread. Yeah, well, you know, we've talked about apps, how we think about using apps as that. And then uh, the other thing, yeah, Instagram uh, we, you know, we've tried, we've taken several stabs at doing like web ads and like Facebook ads and stuff, and it's never really converted. It. Oh, podcasts, and we've done podcasts some, um, podcast ads in particular. But yeah, the the web ads don't really seem to ever like convert enough to where it feels like it's something we should sink a lot of money into, and we never know if we're doing it wrong or if, uh, you know, it's just the way our products or whatever are too niche or whatever. What type of web ads have you done? We've done Google search ads. Mm-hmm. We've done Facebook ads. We've done... We did the deck once. We did the deck. We've done... And if you don't like retargeting campaigns and stuff, like so for people that come to your website and, and you show ads... We've done we've done retargeting for, yeah, for the Facebook ones to like build the people you show right. it to, like the Facebook pixel. Um, and, oh, and we've done... Um, We've done uh, uh, blog sponsorships. And honestly, the podcast sponsorships and blog sponsorships are the things that work the best for us uh, by far. Wouldn't you say, Dan? I mean, that's like the thing we go back to more. Yes and no. Podcast sponsorships has been uh, wildly different. Uh, Like we've had some, we've done it sometimes where it was like, this is crazy. Like this is so, such a good return on investment. Uh, like it was like, I think the first time we did it, it was like a 10 X or 20 X like return on investment. Like it was nuts. Uh, and then other times we've done, it's been much more modest or even like a little bit of a loss. So it seems to kind of fluctuate, but that would still be good in the advertising world. You know what I mean? Like you don't get an ROI from an ad necessarily. Yeah. So anywho, that's what we do. We're not great at it. And then we, uh, yeah, basically every time we put out a new product, we have kind of like a checklist of uh, things to do. So it's, you know, send out a newsletter, uh, send a tweet, do a Facebook post, you know, all of those channels. And then we have a kind of a list of press contacts that we'll email individually. And then we'll also kind of decide if we want to tie like a paid marketing thing to it so if we want to like sponsor a podcast or a blog to coincide then that'll be part of the strategy as well what about product hunt we oh yeah we definitely do that yeah uh, yeah we definitely do that and it i mean it's hard to know what that what that ends up meaning but yeah yeah sure. and we the, it's like we have uh we have some friends who have like built up a following, I guess, on Product Hunt. I still don't know how Product Hunt works. I don't, I don't think it. many I people do. Like, uh, claim, you're a maker. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where if you like have followers and then you like add something to Product Hunt, then they're all notified of it. So like the bigger the following you have, the more, you know, the better it is. And so like we have friends that we can be like, hey, we released this new product. Would you mind like putting this up on Product Hunt? So that usually like helps get the ball rolling and get some upvotes or whatever initially to kind of build momentum that part doesn't make any sense to me either 
Like the upvotes and put, stuff. Will, no, like, will you put this on Product Hunt for me? Like, why why can't I just put it on myself if like, it's so easy for me to just get somebody else to do it? It's, it's very strange. To well, me. like I like I said, they have if they have a following, like let's say they have several thousand people that follow them on Product Hunt, then they will all be notified when oh. they like add something okay. to Product Hunt. Huh. Yeah, gotta hunt those products down. Yeah, I don't even know. I wonder how they're doing. Uh, it seems like it's it could totally be one of those kind of flash in the pan things where everyone's all about it for a couple of weeks and then it's been like years though it fades fades away yeah it's it's just sustained a while but um who knows who knows parker asked do you do any simulated strength testing for designs such as finite element analysis in a cad program mm. please explain what that is to me uh like <laughs> with the glyphs lever yeah uh i we have we have the software that could do that um so basically what that is is you can like in solidworks and fusion you can you can model your thing in 3d and then you can assign like materials and properties to like the 3d parts and then you can like stress test them like under conditions right so you can say oh we need to when it's heated up what happens or when it bends like this how much force can it withstand that sort of stuff um, and so, you know, if you're building rocket engines, like you definitely do all of that because what it means is you don't have to go through, you can do a lot of iterations in software because it can model a lot of the things you're looking for in software. We make things that are so much more simple than that and don't have rigorous, um, like don't have really rigorous, like engineered constraints that I think it wouldn't ever quite be worth it. We can all almost always um, arrive at those decisions just like, through like just getting either intuition talking to manufacturers and then just like trying it out ourselves um i think if we had some really specific engineering constraint we would do it now for instance with the glyph which uh they bring up parker brings up there is one component there that has some definitely some kind of engineering constraints which we maybe could have modeled but the way we ended up tackling that was obviously just trying different materials until we found the right one. And I don't know if those softwares are sophisticated enough to really do the, the kind of wear testing that we needed to do in real life. So it just hasn't ever been a fit. I think if we had some, you know, heat dissipation or some big situation, we'd totally, yeah, because the software is like sitting there for us. But, uh, but we, we're not that fancy. <laughs> Jason asked, uh, I'm a glyph backer and I love your attention to detail. Others seem impatient. What's your take on how to manage backer expectations, Dan? First off, thank you, Jason, for your support. Um, the, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is a tricky one. I mean, you know, we've been doing this for six years now. And I think it's always just about you know, being honest and upfront with, uh, where things are going and, you know, obvious things, trying to keep backers in the loop and such. Um, I've noticed this time around, we kind of set the, the precedent that, uh, we would be updating like roughly once a month, um, for this latest glyph campaign. And some, it seems like some minority of people, like find that too infrequent especially as we're getting kind of closer to uh you know when we're ready to ship um so that's something we might look at is kind of the frequency of how often we're updating people but i really do think it is 
just a vocal minority that, uh, you know, you need to be aware of and make sure you're communicating, but not let it change your perception that, you know, everyone is feeling that way. That's um, definitely the case. Like that's every time we like l- when we get a, any comment, that's anything like it's been a while or, oh, it's taken so long or, oh, it's late. You know, immediately my mind races to, oh, crap. Oh, no. Oh, no. But I have, you know, I'm sure Dan and I do too. We both learn to like temper that reaction uh, and know that that's just like, you know, a couple people and we're never going to make everyone happy. So, yeah, the experience, it's really, uh, yeah. I So, yeah, just to echo Dan, like just communicate like, you know, reasonably and then try not to let, try not to be overreactive to the, you know, the vocal minority because it's real easy to just like, you know be overreactive in a way yeah and if there's if there's one thing i could communicate to some of those kind of more impatient backers it would be however impatient you're feeling we are feeling that uh, 10 times uh like we we (laughs) yeah uh like we know um (laughs) and so uh i'm not necessarily saying like have some empathy man but uh you know we're uh we're not sitting on our hands like we're doing everything we can to get it out as quickly as possible it's like you know our like business depends on it uh whereas you know for you it's just a matter of getting this one product like at a certain time so justin asked um how have you balanced providing enticing business transparency for the podcast with wanting to maintain suspense and surprise as a company good question yeah that is a good question because that's a that's a point of friction between tom and i mm-hmm. yeah not a huge one but yeah it's uh, maybe i should say how this usually goes so something yeah. will be coming <laughs> right. up and uh tom will say oh why don't we talk about canopy and then dan will say no we're not ready to launch yet and then Tom will say, okay, and then the next episode we'll be talking about it, and then Tom will say, why don't we talk about the problems we have in Canopy? And Dan's like, no, let's we'll go talk about that right now. That tends to be how it happens. Tom wants to share everything, Dan wants to share nothing, and then we come to a, an agreement as a group. Happy medium. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I, have a, I think I have a pretty good explanation for my preference is that... <laughs> it's the best explanation. <laughs> Public uh, delays. So, for example, like what's going on with the glyph right now, like I was just saying, is like super frustrating. Like it's really creates a lot of anxiety to have this thing kind of out in the open that people are anxiously waiting for that we're not delivering. And every delay is just like really the the pain is amplified because it's public. So as for Canopy... However much that sucked for us to like go through that internally, if we had like launched that, you know, did a soft launch in March, uh, <laughs> that would have been a horrible seven horrible. months of, uh, <laughs> of pain. So I think it's uh, it's to kind of protect ourselves from just that, uh, you know, feeling the heat of all these people like, where's my thing? Where's my thing? Where if they don't know exists, then there's nothing to, you know, be honest about. Um, so I, I love to be open to talk about, like he says, business transparency and like kind of how we run our business and how we do this and that. Like we basically share, there's kind of no secrets in terms of 
how we run our business and decisions we make and manufacturing process and all these things. It's really just unreleased products. I generally like to keep in that unreleased state for as long as possible. And so like using Kickstarter is the antithesis of that. Like you have to make it public in order to get the funds. And so it's kind of a worthwhile trade-off in that regard. But when we're making a product that's not going to be using Kickstarter, then I think it's best to just keep it uh, hidden until basically it's ready to ship. And I agree with everything Dan's saying. I totally feel it. My inclination sometimes is, you know, it's when we do some beta testing and stuff with like these kind of privately developed products, like sending them to people doing beta testing, it's always real, it's like useful. And so not only is like talking about products and development, like good content and good storytelling and like, honestly, like brand building, like behind the scenes stuff is really good. Um, it, you know, it'd be also nice to get feedback from people. Right. Um, and so that to me is the inflection, like the, the you know, the seesaw, but it, it is also, it is very true that, uh, yeah, talking about things too early and making like promises or anything like that is really hard. I think maybe one solution would be some sort of like, I mean, this is dumb, but like a, almost like a beta test program or something where we would have an audience or group of people who are interested in that. And they would just know that the things we're talking about, you know, might not even happen. Right. And it's, it's very like beta testy, like that could maybe be a solution, but something like that. But yeah, it's very it's tricky because we want to share we like it but it's yeah and that brings up a good point like i think that is one thing that is is missing or or maybe it's just like a specific product we can try a different approach with is um i mean not the whole uh a camel is a horse di- designed by committee thing but um doing like making a product with the intention of like feedback being solicited and embraced. Um, Cause we kind of don't do that. And even uh, on Kickstarter, we're not really asking for design feedback. Well, cause we've designed it. Exactly. Um, and so it'd be interesting to like come up with a product that really warrants that kind of feedback. Like where we don't have enough experience with, you know, what we want the product to be. Um, like, I think that would be fun and interesting. I guess we just haven't, you know, it would be really awesome if you could do like a two stage Kickstarter where the first stage is, uh, you know, back this project or whatever to be like uh, for the design to be, to be there for the design process. Like, we don't know what the retail price is going to be. We can't like do the real backer thing. Uh, and then there's some sort of switch where it turns into like the more kind of public, like retail oriented, like backing. That'd be really cool because, you know, I think there's a lot of people who would want to be there for the story and would maybe pay like a little bit of money to 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 be on that journey. And that would incentivize us to like create content and stuff for them. That would be that'd be kind of cool. Kickstarter should do that. If that made any sense. Um, we have a question, more questions from Justin. This is a very interesting question. Um, have you done any recording or documentation of product development, like the startup Gimlet podcast, which, you know, they, they basically recorded the creation of their company in advance and then created episodes about the creation of the company after their company launched. Um, it would be really cool to hear clips of your design or business meetings, for example, even for already announced products. 
So the answer is yes. That's what this show was supposed to be. Yeah. So the original intent for this show was a counterpart to the OB laser cat toy Kickstarter project where we, Tom and I basically started recording our conversations right at the beginning of the idea for that product. So we have a ton of material that's just sitting in Dropbox of our design conversations um, of working through that whole process. I mean, it was, it was several months of uh, design work. And so the intention was to create kind of like a heavily edited uh, startup style podcast where we would kind of fold in archival audio of, you know, the design process and working through problems and things like that. Um, and then Obi failed and we said, so we didn't do that. Um, and so we totally have had the idea to do that. It is, that would be a lot of work, certainly. Um, and if Obi exploded in popularity, I think that could have been a really cool thing and kind of, uh, would have given insight into the design process for a thing like that. But wasn't to be there was also months of conversations between the three of us as well leading yeah, up yeah no it. yeah we had like i forget mike when we but it was like early you were looped in and we had this idea it was like yeah like at the be- pretty beginning of the development right and then we had like talked about yep yeah we yeah we had yeah because we had talked for a long time about like then when you have an idea let's start yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah 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 that's mm-hmm. right yeah and then on, on Obi, Justin asks, would you ever go back to that product? I think so. Because the I think the problem that we encountered, like, I don't think we would change our design decisions. Like, I feel like, and I've said this before, I think we've like arrived at the right place for what we thought the problem was. And so the problem was really like a market fit. It wasn't even like a technology problem or anything. And so, yeah, I don't think so. I don't know what would make it change it enough to where we'd feel like it would, you know, then be a success. Uh, But I think, you know, getting back to the last question, I think we would, I think we are, all of us are interested in trying to do that sort of thing again, like a behind the scenes. So maybe, maybe not with Obi, but with something. Chad wants to know, when can we expect the first Studio Neat feature film? You know, it was funny uh, that the, um, I think it's called App the Human Story, uh, okay. that like Kickstarter project for a film uh, about basically people that make apps. Um, when that launched, I was really jealous. I was like, man, this was it. <laughs> like, this was the, the film that Studio Neat should have made. Because um, to me, it feels kind of like the app version of indie game the movie which is i think one that of my was, favorite I, movies I think, yeah i think that's what this product was right like i think that was the idea was i think they saw yeah. that movie and they were like let's make a a version about apps yeah and i'm on board with that and i and it was like you know it would like that that idea for a movie is like we i'm not saying we could have made it or would have done it as good a job but we're kind of uniquely positioned in that we kind of like know a lot of people that make apps and we make apps ourselves and so that type of thing um yeah when they launched that i was like oh that's such a good idea (laughs) um 
I mean, but and you know, so... <laughs> still not out though. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm on the page time. now. Do you know that it was December 2015 was when they expected oh, to have wow. the movie done. Yeah, they. It's well. It's funny. I actually, I've, I backed a, uh, a film. I've, I have. There's another outstanding uh, film on Kickstarter that I back, like a, a Sagmeister movie that is actually like finally coming around to being done. But that one was like four or five years in development. I think. Yeah, I think the problem with this movie, if we're on this now, is uh, all of those interviews that they did are surely out of date. Yeah, I yeah, that is a problem. I'd be curious. Maybe that's because last I heard they had a cut that was pretty far along. Um, They've had a couple of cuts. I mean, they in December, December of 2016, they released a rough cut. Yeah, so they definitely have something, um, but, you know, it's like the last 10% always takes 90% of the time. Um, So Who knows with, like, releasing movies? I mean, who knows what you're waiting on? I'm sure there's all kinds of weird stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was, I mean, I'm still hopeful. Like the little teaser thing they released with that was like interviewing Nevin Mergen was really, it was really awesome. nice. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. So I, st- I still have my fingers crossed. Like I still want this movie for the same reason I backed it. But like I'm, I'm really <laughs> just like, uh, that's kind of how I feel about it now. It's like, <laughs> how, how, how devastating would it have been if they started making the movie like? right before iOS 7 came out and everyone's like, it's all about the textures, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that would have been bad. I think they started just after, right? Yeah, July. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well actually, no, they probably started before because it was the estimated delivery was December 2015 and they'd already started interviewing people. So they probably actually started this before that. Well, but they might, you know, who knows? I mean... What? Well, wasn't iOS 7 2014? Yeah, well, in July, right? The campaign was launched in, like, June, July. But they'd already interviewed people because they had clips of the interviews. Mm. So... Yeah, uh, I'm sure they can... That stuff they could have fixed, though, because they've, you know, all this time afterwards. But, uh, yeah... It's a shame. I, I I would really like that movie, and I hope that it's. I hope that they can put it together and release something. Yeah, we'll see. I think they will. I forgot. I I forget about it quite often. Uh, last <laughs> question from Florian: Was Studio Neat a last resort kind of business, or did it start as a side hustle and turned into this great company? Neither. It's not a great it, company. <laughs> it, was, it got. It was. It was a forced into company. I think we. We skipped the uh, like side, like the part-time hustle thing, and went straight into a full-time business. Basically, uh, so short story is, we we yeah, we're working as designers that we mentioned at the top of the episode. Uh, we just had this idea for a thing, put it on Kickstarter, and it exploded. And we we're like, oh crap, we need a company name. We need to make a company. <laughs> and then you know, very shortly, we quit our you know, a couple months, we quit our jobs and started doing it. So yeah, it was kind of. We, Dan and I are either of us are not super entrepreneurial. I think we may have turned into those people a little bit more, but I don't think either of us were very entrepreneurial when we started the company. Certainly, um, 
Yeah, so, the goal yeah. the goal was not to make a company, it was to make a product. product and then yeah. after that happened and it was successful, we we kept it as a side hustle for like four or five months, uh, while we continued our aforementioned jobs. Uh and they allowed us to go down to four days a week, which was nice. So we had kind of like one studio neat day a week. Uh and then it was really like the launch and success of the cosmonaut, which made us realize you know we need need to to dedicate full-time to this and it's funny it's funny that you said we we were trying to make a product not not a company it's like still i think that's still the case like when we talk about not having like a vision for studio neat 10 years out i think it's because we're not building a company we're building like we just want to make products and we we always have to try to like the company is the thing we like sometimes ignore in terms of like strategy and marketing. And it's the thing that, you know, we, we're trying to be better at building and working on. Uh, but yeah, we're just always distracted by like, we just want these products to exist. And so it's hard to build the company in the way like a traditional entrepreneur would. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's where we are. Thanks to everyone for submitting questions. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you. It's great. It's fun. People are so smart. Thoroughly Considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat. To find out more about this show, head on over to relay.fm slash TC. Thanks for listening.